Welcome to the Harrison Faith Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Brian Herring. It's our prayer. This message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Uh, Well, we are so glad that you chose to worship with us today. We're going to close out our series in Timothy today. And we're going to just talk about finishing your race. What a better way to finish a series than just talk about just simply that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, to finish your race. I pray that we'd all do that, right? If you recall, what we've talked about is this is, letter, this is Paul's letter to Timothy just a short time prior to his death or his beheading. And Paul realizes he's at the end and the end is very near. So he begins to do what we all do when it seems like the end is near. He begins to assess his life and begin to think about what he can do, leave his footprint. One of the things that you, through, though Paul is very much a um, strong personality throughout the New Testament and through his writings, through the scriptures, one of the things you, that's an overarching um, theme towards the end of his writings is you see that he's very lonely. He's lonely and, and yet he's still fighting. So he's feeling like he's been abandoned by many people. He feels like he's alone but he's still fighting. He never gives up his fight no matter how bad he feels like it affects him personally. In fact, in today, we're just in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, just jumping ahead. He said, the first time I was brought before the judge, he said, no one came with me and everyone abandoned me. That's pretty, that's pretty lonely. He says, may it not be counted against them. So he even has this attitude, though, that even though he feels lonely and he feels abandoned, he's like, but don't count it against them. Don't, don't hold this against them. Instead, he, Paul wants to take this time to encourage. So it's winter time, which is always a tough time emotionally and mentally anyway. Everything's dying outside. It's, it's, you know, it's winter time, and he knows this, that he's going to be executed in the spring. And with that, he pens this last chapter, and he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead, and he will come to set up his kingdom. He says, preach or proclaim the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Man, what a powerful thing. Uh, In fact, if you're taking notes, you can just write this. We have a mandate to proclaim God's word to the world. He's at this point, he's at the end of his life, and his thing says, and what Paul decides that he's going to finish his letter and write to you is he says, preach the word. Proclaim the word, whether it's favorable or not, whether the times are good or whether times are bad, whether being a Christian is popular or whether it's unpopular, whether if you post something, everybody loves it and likes it, or everybody has a critical statement to say it, he says, no matter what, you have an obligation to preach the word. So as believers, he never stops telling us to share this word, to share this faith, to put out before other people, let them know the truth. We are called to, to, uh, uh, to live what the word tells us, to teach the word, to coach others in, in life with the word. We're to do this. In fact, the Bible calls us ambassadors of heaven. We are to be ambassadors of heaven. We're supposed to proclaim this word to everyone at every opportunity we get, no matter how it affects us personally. This is tough. Because let me just ask you this. Have you ever felt hurt and abandoned and lonely? 
Have you ever felt so hurt and so abandoned that you withdrew from people? That you didn't get out, you didn't want to go out in public, you didn't want to go talk to other people, you didn't want to do with anything, you didn't want to touch anybody. In fact, you just did whatever you could to stay away. In fact, maybe you stayed home during the pandemic, not because of fear of the virus, but you were just tired of people. That's right, don't amen too loud, people are going to look, who was that? (laughs) And yet Paul says, no matter what you're going through, what he's going through, it's not a reason to be quiet when it comes to the gospel. That's tough. Because it's easy to proclaim the gospel after God's done something powerful. In fact, Sunday night, for everybody who was here last Sunday night for Miracle Night, it was easy to go to anywhere else in the world, a uh, restaurant, whatever, and tell what God did and how awesome it was and talk about the rainbow over the church and all that stuff. It would have been real easy in that moment. But when you go Monday morning and you, all of a sudden you're back at life, you're doing work, and you're getting faced with the same realities, and you're getting hit over and over and over again, it's hard at that point to say, I need to do what's best for the gospel. Because what we want to do sometimes times is we want to withdraw, pull away, and close off. You ever think that a lot of times during hunting season, men don't love hunting as much as they just like getting away? It's tough. It's hard. But it's real. The only way we can truly share it with others when it is who we are And it's not just what we do. Because when it's who we are, when we're squeezed, when we're crushed, it's what comes out. But when it's not who we are, when we're squeezed and we're crushed, what really is on the inside comes out. It's tough. So what do you do do in these moments? What do you do? How do you react? The world is hurting, broken, wounded, depressed, and we all have the answer, and he's telling us to proclaim. He goes on to the second half of verse 2, and he says, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage other peoples with good teaching. So proclaim this word, whether times are favorable or whether they're bad. Patiently correct rebuke, and encourage people with the good teaching. Here at Harrison Faith, we believe that the Bible is our guidebook for living, and we believe the Word of God trumps everything. It just does. It trumps any law that's out there. It trumps uh, any, anything that we're facing with. It is really our guidebook for living. It's not just pick the scriptures you like and don't worry about the ones you don't like. It's, we believe that it's absolutely true, that it was absolutely inspired. In fact, we know this, that it was God-breathed. There's life in this word. There's never a time that you don't read this word, like I talked last week, but it's not like oxygen to your soul. You get in the word, you read, and it, and it, it, it ignites something inside of you and revitalizes you. There's something powerful about when you get into the Word of God. It is life. I saw a uh, thing, a video this past week, and I didn't have time to verify it, so we're just going to say I believe it probably could be true. Um, But it was talking about the Word of God. It says that there was a a research from the Pew Research, and it said this, that, that if you read the Bible once or twice a week, there's not a lot of big change. But if you begin to read your Bible in three times a week, then all of a sudden you, there's, a, there's a shift that changes in your personality and, and how you look at life. And if you read it four times a week or more, you're less depressed, 
You're less likely to drink. You're less likely to, to do uh, things that are self-harm to your body. There's something about the more you put the word in you that the less you want to do other things that are harming to your body. It's powerful. Here's what I wish is as we get into the word more, we, we would stop giving our opinion about things and start giving people the word of God. Stop giving people our social media opinion. Uh, we should ask, what does the word say? What does the Bible say about this specific situation and this stage in life and how should we respond? Uh, let the word, let it lead us. Let it guide us. Let it shape us. Let it mold us in who we're supposed to be. The word is the foundation of what we do as the church. Verse 3 through 4 says, For a time is coming. When people no longer listen to sound, wholesome teaching, they will follow their desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ear wants to hear. <laughs> Was this written in 2020? Verse 4, they will reject the truth and chase after myth. <laughs> Not... They will reject wholesome teaching, which is what we're seeing. There is a trend in the world to manipulate the word of God to what's popular at the time or what's socially accepted at the time versus what the word of God says. See, we forget this, that morality that's driven by man is constantly changing. But the word of God never changes. Its standards don't change because the social uh, ideas change. So what was holy in the scriptures 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 80 years ago, is still wholesome today. It's still true. The scripture and what it says is true. Now, now understand the customs of the day have changed, just like the customs of even 10 years have changed. But the standards, the biblical precedents have never changed. But the problem is, is that there's a social norm right now to adapt whatever's popular and make the scriptures fit what we want to believe and ignore other ones, and that's dangerous because morality is always changing. But God's word never changes. So, the time is coming where people will only want to hear the things that they feel or they desire that feed their desires. So here it is. We must choose spiritual growth over comfort. When you are getting in the Word and you're letting the Word be your guidebook and you're letting the, the Word of God lead you, direct your path in the way you should go, we have got to choose spiritual growth, what God wants to do in me, in my spiritual man, over my comfort level. The Bible is here to make you better, not comfortable. Let that seep in for a moment. The Bible is here to make us better, not comfortable. In fact, when you really start digging into the Word and you really start digging into Scriptures, there ought to be something stirring on the inside of you that, that makes you begin to, to feel like there's changes that need to happen. There's something that ought to happen inside of you that makes you feel like you need to draw near because there's this process that we believe, and it's called sanctification, and it's the process of getting closer to God. It means that when I'm first saved, God has made me right, not because I deserve it, or, or that I'm justified by what I've done, but even though I haven't deserved it, he's made me just as though I've never sinned. 
But there's still things in me. There's still habits in me. There's still flesh in me. So what have I got to do? There's this process that the more I get in and study the scriptures, the more I grow spiritually, I stop doing those things. That's the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ and less like the world. So the problem is, is if I read the word and I've been serving God for 10 years and never felt like I need to change something, then the problem is I'm not growing spiritually. That's why Paul addresses the, 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 the Christians and believers at one point. And he says, you're still on milk. Grow up. Are you ever going to start eating steak? Come on now. What's wrong with you? Makes me believe that Paul was not a vegetarian. I think that there's something that ought to be inside of us that the more we grow, the more we change. We don't change because of legalism where someone points out all your faults according to what they believe. We change because the spiritual uh, growth inside of me is happening that says I've got to do something because what I was made me happy at one point no longer makes me happy. You see, when I was a child, I played with G.I. Joes. I like G.I. Joe. He was a real American hero. And at the end of every cartoon, it would say, and knowings have to battle as they taught me a moral lesson. And I would play with it, but there was a time where those were things were foolish to me and babyish to me. So I had to grow on. And I picked up a football. Then I realized I wasn't very good at football. So I went to the stands and I cheered on the football players. And I picked up other things because as I got older, I put down childish things. And so the thing is, is that there's a problem when we no longer grow and grow closer to God because it's God who's changing us constantly as we're getting stronger, we're getting more faith in us, we're reading the scriptures, and we're growing and are believing and we're getting stronger spiritually. There should be change that happens, not because someone told me you know, all these things, although there are biblical precedents we need to live by, but there's other changes I make, not because it's written in scripture, because God says it's a stumbling block for me. And I've got to remove these stumbling blocks because even though it may not make Caleb stumble, it makes me stumble. So, it's here to, the, the Word of God, it's here to grow us and stretch us. How does he do that? Love your enemies. Well, that's no fun. Love your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you. I won't do that. Feed the poor. That's inconvenient. Love your wife like Jesus loved the church. But she makes me so mad. Forgive as Jesus forgave you. But he was Jesus. I'm not Jesus yet. Probably never will be. That's not me. Give 10% of your income to the church. What? <laughs> Some people want us to use grace as a free-for-all to do whatever we want. But now, understand this. We believe in grace. Thank goodness for grace. It's undeserved favor. We don't deserve God's grace by any means. But grace is not an excuse to get away with whatever you want to do. And Paul understood this, and he addressed this in two scriptures. In fact, in Jude chapter 1, the very first part, it says, I say this because ungodly people have wormed their way into the ch your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows them to live immoral lives. God's word doesn't contradict itself. God's word would never say that you're, because of his grace you can live an immoral life. He goes on in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, and he says this, For you are free, 
yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Just because I'm free don't mean I get to do whatever I want. Even though grace covers a multitude of sin, I have, as a believer, as I grow and as I get stronger, have to be accountable. In fact, you're taking notes. You want to write this next one down. Grace empowers me, not entitles me. (laughs) Grace empowers me to live a life that I am undeserving of and not worthy of. It doesn't entitle me to do whatever I want. Verse 5. You should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. We are all called to reach the lost, every one of us. Not one of us is not called to reach the lost. This past week, we did it uh, Wednesday night, and I did a Bible study on how to win people for the Lord. We are all called. There's no one in this room that is a follower of Christ that hasn't been called to duplicate in others what God did for you. You are to to help other people do it. Verse uh, Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 14 through 15 says this, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone tell them without being sent? This is why the scripture says, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. We've all been sent. We've all been called. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 uh, through the first part of 7 says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as, a, as an offering to God. I think King James says a drink offering. The time of my death is near. And he says this in verse 7, the very first part. He says, I have fought the good fight. Here's what he's telling us. Fight for the right things. The things that will advance the purpose of God for your life. Are we, as believers, during 2021 and forward, are we fighting the good fight? Are we fighting just a fight? Are we fighting a fight of spiritual uh, preparedness, of spiritual values? Are we, are we fighting a good fight? Are we fighting a political fight? Do I spend more energy... In fact, let me just say this. I'm, I, believe, I, I, I believe in praying for our nations. In fact, that's biblical. Pray for your nation. I'm for that. I believe that we should pray for the morality and the soul and the spirituality of our nations. I believe that's scriptural. All of that. My problem is, is, is this as believers. When we are more concerned about political injustice than we are about people being unsaved, there's a problem with us as believers. It's not, don't, it's not don't care about political injustices and rights being taken care of. It's that it should not affect us more than souls being lost and going to hell. One should have more priority than the other. It doesn't mean both aren't important. So we've confused one with the other, and we've made one higher than the other. But as believers, we are kingdom-minded first and other things second. It's all right. Don't shout me down. It don't bother me no more. Fight for the things that matter for eternity more than the things that matter in this life. It doesn't mean, don't misunderstand me, nobody misquote me, it doesn't mean don't fight for things in this life. It means 
Fight for those things that are spiritual and eternal harder. Fight to fulfill the purpose of God and the mission he has called you to do. Too many people fight for the things that don't help God's purpose or his missions. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 13 says this, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. The devil. Who's our enemy? That's right. <laughs> it's not Billy, Sue, Mary Jo. It's just not them. That's not it. It's, it's, it's the enemy is the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Enemies, though it feels like it because it's got a face and a name and I want to, you know, throat punch it sometimes. <laughs> we don't fight against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in dark, the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. The only way we can be defeated is by quitting and giving up. So keep fighting. By giving up. Have you ever felt like giving up? I have. I have. You ever feel like just quitting and just walking away and starting something new? At some point, you either have or you will because not everything's going to go according to what you hoped and what you planned. But don't quit. Keep fighting. It's hard. Keep fighting. Verse 13 says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, not just some, so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. <laughs> I'd pray that we'd go to our knees before we go to our computer or our phones and type on social media. I'd pray that we would pray over a situation before we gossip about a situation. I would pray that we would learn to get on our face before God before we put our face in someone else's. I would hope that there's ought to be something inside of us as spiritual beings and spiritual uh, uh, citizens of heaven that, that ought to be inside of us, that we would go to God on these situations before we go somewhere else. Because I want to act out of obedience to what God is telling me, not out of emotional distress. Verse 7, the second part goes on. He says, I have fought a good fight. He says, I will finish the race. Ultimate success, success is completing our life's mission. We've got to complete our mission. What is your life's purpose and mission? It's easy to start. Everyone starts off amazing. Everyone starts off amazing. Everyone starts off well. Few finish well. In fact, if you read, uh, you'll find out if you do a little study... Only one-third of the leaders in the Bible finished well and in the will of God. That means two-thirds didn't finish well. Wow. Opposition isn't at the starting line. It's at the finish line. All of us are tempted to quit. Our determined to finish must be greater than our desire to quit. Somebody needs to write that, put it in your car, put it on your mirror in the morning, but you, you need to hear it because some of us are struggling. And you need to remember that our determination to finish 
must be greater than our desire to quit. Avoid distractions that keep you from finishing what God's called you. Don't give up. He goes on and he says, I have fought a good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Live a life with no regrets. I can tell you today I have some regrets. I have some regrets. Made mistakes. But I want to live a life with no regrets. I want to, I want to work harder. I want to move uh, deeper. I want to get closer. I want, to, I want to do what it takes. Too many people reach the end of their, their lives with would have, could have, should have, or I wish I had, or I wish I hadn't. I dare you to dream your biggest dream and put a mustard seed faith in the ground and watch what God can do. Dream big dreams. Dream the things that only God can give you. Put your faith in the ground and see what God can do when it grows. As long as you have breath in your lungs, the situation can turn around. Here's the challenge questions for you. i got two of them. Did I do my very best? With what God has called me to do, did I do my very, very best? And the second one is, did I love unconditionally? Did I love unconditionally or did I put conditions? I loved until they, boom. I loved until they said that, did that, spoke that. Did I love unconditionally? My kids could never do anything to stop or prevent me from the way I love them. The only thing they can do is affect how proud I am of them. But they can never stop me from loving them. No regrets at the finish line. Don't quit early. Don't finish your race. Don't get tired. Don't throw up your hands and quit. Keep the faith. Keep going. Verse 8, it says, And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which, is, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly work and look forward to his appearing. Keep your eye on the prize that drives us through the pain of today. Keep my eye upon the prize. Keep my eye on what he called me to do. Keep my eye on what he wants me to do. Because I'm running a race and I've got to finish strong. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes upon Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its own shame. He is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Philippians 3.14, it says, I press on to reach the end of the race, to receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. If we all stand in here today, we close out. Here's what I want to know. Are you struggling? Are you struggling to finish? Are you struggling? Do you feel like giving up? Do you feel like quitting? 
Here's what you're going to find. Some of us are so close to quitting that I believe that if you would just allow yourself a moment to step out and say, God, I'm moving towards you today. I'm not going to quit. You're going to experience something that some of you have never experienced, and that's the feeling of unconditional love. The kind of love that says, even though you've messed up, even though you may have done things you, you brought on yourself, maybe, maybe it's nothing you did. Maybe, maybe it's something that just happened. You're in bad circumstances. You're in bad situations. The, the rug's been pulled out from underneath you. Here's what I believe. You just say, God, I'm trusting you this morning. Today I'm stepping out. And as you do, and you come to this front, I'm believing this. Not only will altar workers meet you at the front, but I believe that God's going to flood you with an overwhelming feeling of unconditional love. God's got something so great in store for you, but you can't give up. You can't give up. You may want to give up. You may, want, you may feel like you're tripped up. You may feel like you're going to fall down. You may feel like there's no hope. You may feel like you're at the end of your rope, but that's when God does his best work. We quote it often, but we don't really take it in personally, and that's this, that it's in our weakness. He makes us strong. That as long as we're strong enough to say that we can do all this and we're going to make it through this and I've got a plan, all of a sudden we're going to realize there's nothing we can do to fix it and we're going to fall on our face. But there's something powerful when you really are and you realize I'm weak, there's nothing I can do. I'm at my end. And he reaches his hands around you and makes you feel his love and he steps in right at right, the right time. There's something so powerful about it. I'm going to ask our altar workers to come to the front at this time, and I'm going to pray over you. And at the end, I'm going to invite you to come. And when I invite you to come, I'm going to ask you not to hesitate. I'm going to ask you to just do a step of faith. In fact, don't look and see if anybody else is coming. Just, just begin to step out. Be bold. Even if you have to close your eyes on the first two steps just to get brave enough to do it. And then make your way up. And you can kneel. You can pray with a prayer worker. But I promise you, you won't regret it. Father, I pray from everybody from the front to the balcony and those watching online. God, that feel like they're at the end of their rope and they want to give up. They're so frustrated. They're so hurt. It feels like all is lost. They have nowhere else to go. God, that today that would be a time of refreshing. That as they begin to make their way here today, up to the front, it's not the ground that they'll be standing on that's sacred. But it's the heart and the attitude of desperation that took those steps that got them here. That you're going to meet them, you're going to surround them, you're going to encourage them, you're going to make them feel the love that they can't feel on their own. You're going to give them hope, you're going to give them what they need to move forward. God, I believe in it today because, Lord, today there are some people in here today that are desperate. They're struggling. So today we give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, these altars are open. I want you to find your way. The worship team's going to play. It won't be awkward. Just begin to make your way to the front. Meet Jesus up here. Meet Jesus up here. He's going to meet you right in the center where you are. Begin it. Many have already making their way. As the worship team comes, don't hesitate. Begin to find your way right now.